The reason I'm a pastor is because I'm just so captivated with who God is as revealed in Jesus. Just totally blows me away. And I'm like, man, if that's who Jesus is, worth being a pastor for all the challenges and, you know, kind of complexities of the role, uh, including IT stuff and, you know, all of that. I mean, it's, it's, he's so incredible. And um, obviously we want to create a community that just falls in love with who God really is. Because the more that you discover of him, the better he gets in my experience. Like the, he just over time cleans up some of the wonky images we have of God and he brings clarity to what he's like. And I, like, I love what Glenn's opened with last week where he said this A.W. Tozer quote that was like, the most important thing for us is how we view God because we become that which we worship. So if we worship a God who is angry or judgmental or, um, you know, who, uh, you know, is an angry policeman uh, or whatever, then you can become that because you just, you, that's the, the supreme being in your life. But what we see in Jesus is this God who is love, who's pure love to the point where he's like forgiving enemies, which is, sounds primo until you try and do it. And then you realize that's, that's divine. You know, that's a godly way of, of going about things. And that he would, you know, in all of his glory, we looked at this a couple of Sundays ago, come in the flesh into this very world that he created. And that had rebelled against him. He would come in very flesh into all of that pain and brokenness and mess. That's unbelievable. Like, that's how much he loves us. And then it gets better when he goes onto the cross and in that moment, mysteriously takes upon himself all of my brokenness, all of your brokenness, all of the world's brokenness, and so that we could be forgiven and made right with him because he loves us. And all he wants is for us to know that love and to be in it, to live in that love. It's like, oh my gosh, this is such great news. And then like, it gets better because <laughs> the more you follow him, the more you realize that the one that created us knows how best we are to live. Like what's the best path for us to live? So when we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we're like looking at Jesus' instructions on how to live beautifully. Like an Instagram, at the moment, there's this like hashtag my best life. So it's like, you know, when you're swanning around at the beach on Fiji or whatever, you're like hashtag my best life now. You know, I'm, like, I'm just living the dream. And it's like awesome, but it's like if you want to live your best life, follow Jesus. And not just believe in him, but choose to wrestle with what it looks like to follow him. And now, is it easy to do that? No, because we're deeply broken. And I tell you why it's difficult is because we like running at a million miles an hour and Jesus wants us to come to him and learn how to rest, to just slow down. We, it's hard to follow Jesus in this, in this kind of world that glorifies productivity because he says, Sabbath, have one whole day that's holy that you just rest and replenish your soul. Like, goes quiet, right? Everyone feels like I'm dealing out conviction burgers already and it's like, yeah, we have barely two minutes into the sermon. But it's like, because, but it's the richest life you can live. And so when you wrestle with your brokenness, when you come to the table enough times and you deal with all of that and you start going, I want to live your way, not my way. I want to break the cycle from the garden of saying, screw you, we'll do it our way. Too many Christians do that. And we've elevated all this moral stuff, which we should, 
I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we've also forgotten Sabbath and rest and pace, and we should be raging against stress because we are called to be a people of peace, blah, 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 blah. So all of this is like this hardcore way of Jesus, but the more that you wrestle with it and choose it, the richer life gets. Where you've got a peace in your heart and your mind, you've got a rhythm that God hardwired you to have, and you're honoring that, and you're slowing down, and you're blah, 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 okay? So it's like... I'm frothed on it, but it's a challenge. But it leads to life and all of its fullness, resurrection life. That's why I signed up to follow Jesus. And the more I've contended for it and allowed the Holy Spirit to shape that stuff in me, the beautiful, more beautiful it's got, the better it's got, and the more I realize I've got a long way to go. <laughs> Hypocrite transition, we're all going to do it, okay? What I want to look at this morning, now I've had probably one of the busiest weeks since we got here, apart from launching the church, that week was pretty busy. Uh, but... Um, we're, we're looking at, I got paid last Sunday for the first time, uh, last Monday. Yeah, thank you. Um, so that's why I'm not doing the offering talks anymore because my motives are all wonky. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but we thought, oh, I'm not mucking around. So we got paid last Monday. So we're, we're going to put our house on the market probably tomorrow. And then we're going to look at buy some. So, you know, I've been kind of prepping the house, you know, so I'm like, ugh. And so I thought, oh, you know, on the busiest week ever, why don't I talk about the Trinity, the most complicated Lincoln Doctrine we've got. Um, so let's do that. Um, so I want to explore this morning the Trinity, but how this, the Trinity reveals something absolutely stunning about the nature of God, and then look at what that means for us, to those of us committed to following the way of God. Um, the Trinity is incredibly tricky to get your head around. Um, you know, like those metaphors that we'll probably teach our kids in Sunday school. It's like ice and water and steam. But existing simultaneously all in the same environment and kind of flowing into one another and of one another. And so, you know, all right, kids, you know, like, okay, cross-eyed straight away. So it's like, okay, we're going to, even as we look at a little bit this morning, we're kind of pushing the limits of human understanding. And as I've been meditating on it this week as I've painted my roof, uh, I was like, part of me likes the fact I struggle to get my head around this because it speaks to a God greater than I am. On one level, it's like, okay, like the minute I can reduce God to something I can just get my head round, well, he doesn't cease to be God. He ceases to be God in that moment. But he's beyond my little brain. And But the Trinity is a key doctrine for the Christian, uh, and it changes everything, really, because it's especially around Jesus. Now, the J-dubs, God bless them, don't believe that Jesus is God. Uh, and so um, they... There's some big implications there in terms of they believe in the forgiveness of sins still through Jesus, but how that, without him being God, the impact of that kind of diminishes quite significantly. Um, you know, lots of people these days like Jesus as a teacher, but kind of like God as a vibe, you know, the, the worldy kind of vibe thing. Jesus doesn't let us get away with any of that. Uh, and the early church fathers, as they looked at the life of Jesus, came to the conclusion he is God. And the epistles are filled with this. We've looked at them almost every Sunday. He is the fullness of God. He, the fullness of God dwells in him. Uh, you know, so you've got all of this stuff going on. And we see in these Gospels, 
uh, as the early, you know, and very early on, the guys are writing the story of Jesus and they begin to put in these kind of key moments, Trinitarian moments. For example, in Jesus' baptism in Luke 3, verse 21, it says this when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. So you've got this kind of Trinitarian moment here where the Holy Spirit just rests on Jesus. And don't you love what the Father says to his son? Like, proud moment as a Christian. I'm like, isn't he, isn't he lovely? You know, he's looking down at Jesus, just going, I love you. I'm so pleased with you. And get this, he hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't started his ministry yet, and he's like, you're all, you know, K-pop, come on, I'm trying to learn Māori, and then I'm like, I mean, oh, whatever. Kāpai. I'm biting off a lot more than I can chew this Sunday. I might just stick to, to English. All right, this is, uh, the reason this is so stunning, um, kāpai, literally the easiest word that everyone, all right, this is a reason. Um, Oh, I'm glad Joanne's not here this morning. Uh, this is, she's teaching me. Uh, she's, uh, yeah, she's fairly present. The reason this is so stunning um, in terms of understanding the Trinity is that without the Trinity, it's very difficult to come to the theological conclusion that God at his core is love. And let me explain why. Because before the world was created, God existed. Now, if there is not community, if God is unipersonal, if he's just one, then God has the potential to love, but he's not actually loving. Does that make sense? Like if I'm in my room on my own, I have the potential to love somebody, but that's it. It's not until somebody walks into that room can that love be outworked. So the Trinity, now the, the early church didn't kind of jump on this because it was like, oh, this makes it all work. As later on, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. If God is three and one, that means that before the world began, he was perfect love, totally fulfilled in the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit and Jesus and, and God the Father, all mysteriously one yet three, and, and just in love with each other, loving one another. Let me, Tim Keller says, says it uh, like this, and, and a lot, lot better than I tried to say it then. If God is unipersonal, then until God created other beings, there was no love, since love is something that one person has for another. This means that a unipersonal God was power, sovereignty, and greatness from all eternity, but not love. Love then is not the essence of God, nor is it at the heart of the universe. Power is primary. However, if God is triune, then loving relationships in community are the great fountain at the center of reality. When people say God is love, I think they mean that love is extremely important or that God really wants us to love. But in the Christian conception, God really has love as his essence. If he was just one person, he couldn't have been loving for all eternity. If he was only the impersonal all soul of Eastern thought, he couldn't have been loving for love is something persons do. Ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. I mean, now I know we're stretching you here today, but here's why it's so cool is that it means that God is love at his very essence. Like that is his nature, the very core of who he is. God is love. Now, 
Oh, I've got some other things to say on that, but let's not get too carried away. So when God decided to expand and extend his love through relationship by creating us, the Bible records that God spoke about himself in the plural. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. So this triune God is love and creates, uh, creates us. And, and John's gospel, when he opens with this incredible line, he says this, in the beginning was the word, was, was Jesus. It was the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's incredible. So He's come in the flesh, but he was the, Jesus was there at the beginning. In beautiful, perfect relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. In the Colossians, it says like this, uh, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Listen, we can summarize it like this. We live in a universe permeated by and held together with ever-relating love. Let me say that again. We live in a universe permeated by and held together with ever-relating love. Like that's who God is and that's how he holds it all together. It's so stunning. Now, quickly pause because uh, I've got some, a whole bunch of other tangents I want to quickly hit. Um, so I just want to quickly just make sure we understand the difference between essence and attributes. So when it comes to God, we say that his essence is love. Like that is at the core of who he is. That is the absolute like center of God's nature is he is love. And, uh, and John and uh, John's epistle, he states it simply, God is love. That's the apex of Christian theology, the apex of Christian thought. And the journey of our lives is for that reality to move from here to here. He is love. Now, God's essence is love, but then he's got attributes. For example, he's holy. But holy isn't his essence. It's an attribute of his love. It's perfect love. It's holy. God is just. He's the God of justice, which is awesome in a world filled with injustice. Like he's going to make things right one day. Hallelujah. But that is not his essence. It's his attribute. So every act of justice will come from a place of love. Is that making sense? It's so important you understand this. So I've said this a whole lot, and I'm going to say this all the time. Everything God says is motivated by love because that's his essence. And everything God calls us to will lead us to life because that's his desire for us. Everything God says is motivated by love. It can't come from any other place. It's love. And everything he calls us to, no matter how challenging, is because he wants us to see us live life in right relationship with him and this world and the people around us, the way we were always designed to live. And we are called to be a prophetic community to a broken and fallen world that says this is what it looks like to live in harmony with God, in harmony with this world that we're called to steward and care for, and in harmony with one another, even with all of our brokenness in Aotearoa, New Zealand, in terms of our history, we're again, prophetic community. Community. We're going to show what it looks like when Māori and Pākehā can come together in unity under the Lord Jesus Christ and honour one another. I mean, we've got a long way to go, but we're on that journey, right? So we've got all of this stuff going on, uh, but it, his essence is love. It's stunning. It's stunning. But here's the implications for this. 
The first thing is this, that if that when Jesus came on earth, he then wanted his disciples to step in to the love of God. He says it like this in John 17. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Right, this is his prayer for us. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So Jesus, now it's like, again, this is, uh, is in John's gospel and John's like a, a real his writing is insane. Like, he's a genius. I, I did a 5,000-word essay on, like, the first six verses of John's gospel. I thought I'd have to throw out, you know, we're like, oh, help me get to the word count, Lord. But, it, you know, in the end, I'm throwing out all this stuff. He is such a genius. So it's pretty dense what he's saying there. But basically, Jesus is praying that, that the love that passes between the persons of the Trinity, between the Father and the Son, would also be in us. So this is what he's saying. He wants us to get caught up in this relationship of love that exists within the Trinity. Like that's his desire for you is that somehow as you journey with Jesus, increasingly you would feel caught up in this loving environment because you're part of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit who are nothing but love at their essence, who just continually love, cheer each other on, submit to one another, point to each other going, oh, he's awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. You're the best. That's all you see in the Scriptures all the time amongst the Trinity. And then it's like he wants you to hop into the middle of that beautiful love and to feel it to genuinely feel it. Now that's a journey of our lives and that's like a, there's all sorts of brokenness we've got to deal with around how we see ourselves and how acceptable we are. But Jesus has done everything in it, everything he can for us to step into that Trinitarian love. And the apex of that was the cross. Sorry for spitting. The apex of that was the cross. He's done everything so that we could be accepted into that holy but ultimately loving place. Now you can just be in it. And this morning, you've taken communion. Hopefully, if there's things that are on your conscience, you've brought them to the Lord. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. So you're acceptable now to enter into that loving communion. Just do it. You, I mean, it's bizarre. I, I can't do much more than just give it a nudge. Just Mike, just, just do it, man. Just somehow rest in the fact that you're loved and that you're caught up in this whirlwind of love. That's the, that's the Trinity. No matter how low you feel, no matter how much you think you've messed it up, God loves you and has done everything for you to enter into this love through the cross. Here's it. Your job is to humbly receive it, with gratitude rejoice, and to learn to live in it. I'll say that again. Your job is to humbly receive it. Don't be too proud. Oh, no, I'm going to have to try and work it out so I'm acceptable by God. Well, then you've made the cross redundant. What a dumb move. Like you've got to just, all you've got to do, the only thing you've got to do to step into this is to humble yourself and say, I want it. That's how you follow it. That's, you, you know, to accepting Jesus into your heart. Well, there's not a lot of that in the Bible, but you know, whatever. But you know, but the thing, baptism's the big thing. I'm going to, I'm all in. But it's like, here's the thing. It's like, to follow Jesus, you just say, I want to do it. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, all you've got to do is humble yourself and say, I need it. I need your forgiveness, I need your grace, I need your mercy, but I'm sick of living my own way, eating the apple all the day, trying to like do it my own way. So help me just to, to live in your love. 
And then as far as the east is from the west, all your rubbish gets removed from you. It's like you get cleansed. Most people have the testimony when you decide to follow Jesus, you wake up the next morning and you feel lighter. You feel just weight off you and you feel clean and you kind of like the shadows have been lifted up and you see the world in a bit more colour or something. It's just, that's what he does. All right. So the first thing, the implications of the Trinity, number one, we just receive the love. Just step into it and enjoy it. That was Jesus' prayer for us. The second thing is that we choose, therefore, to continue to create communities of love. So we we are going to push again. This is why Bay Groups are a big deal for us is that we're not called just to to live in isolation with Jesus, but we're called to live in community together, community of love. Now, here's the reality. Most of our pain and hurt has come through relationships in our life. And the danger is that we can isolate ourselves to protect ourselves from getting hurt again. But the reality is that most of our healing will be found in relationships as well. And so when we choose to isolate ourselves from community, then actually you don't get whole again. And I know a bunch of people, as we've started this church, have said, I'm going to try church again, even though I've been pretty burnt in the past. Real, I've heard some stories. You know, real heavy stuff. And legitimately, like, mate, time out, you know. And so, but then a bunch of you got the courage to go, I'm going to give it another nudge. And, it's, and you got, there's risk involved and your heart's on the line again and all of that, but you've done it. Well done. And I've already seen God bring healing to hearts as we've tracked so far well together. You know, and, and you know, don't touch wood or whatever, but, you know, God willing, I don't screw it up. And, you know, and we don't do any major boo-boos to hurt each other. And we'll continue to be a community that can flourish in love for one another. But our healing comes from those relationships, as well as the reality that a lot of pain comes through, most of our pain comes through relationships. Get this, Jesus understood that. Jesus understood it. Oh, let me explain that in a second. But um, I've got my best mate, Shannon. He lives in Melbourne. <clears throat> um, I'm praying he doesn't listen to the podcast. I'm pretty sure he doesn't. <clears throat> because what happened is, um, do you want to show us this little, uh, the next story? Uh, oh, do we have that? Yeah, anyway, so... Um, this sad little picture uh, really represents probably one of the worst days of my high school years uh, because my best mate Shannon got a girlfriend. And um, Shannon, like legend, man. So like kind of the way that God's wired me I've discovered after, um, you know, 37 years is that um, I have like two or three like super close friends and that pretty much is all I really need in terms of real close mates. And so Shannon's been my best mate one of my two best mates um, since, like, I don't know, like when I was real little, like 11 or 12 or something, 11. So besties. And so at high school, rather than like my wife, who's just social bunny, like just, hey, for friends, and like, if Shannon was sick, I was screwed, you know? Like I was like, please don't get sick, mate, because otherwise I'm just wandering around like that guy, uh, you know, at school. And so <laughs> anyway, uh, Shannon got a girlfriend, and so it was still cool because at lunchtime and interval at high school, like, we still hung out together until his missus gave him the hard word and said, I want you hanging out with me, not Sam, at interval and lunchtime. And so I'll never forget the day that on the school bus, on the way to school, it's like, um, Shannon was like, mate, it was a little awkward, but um, yeah, Emma had a little chat to me and um, I won't be able to hang out with you at interval and lunchtime anymore. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool, bro. <laughs> And I was wandering around high school, you know, and it's like, just like Louisville, anyway. Um, 
Now, thankfully, they broke up, so, you know, let's go. <laughs> a couple months later, and I was a real fan of that. I was like, bro, yeah, good, cool, and like, you know, just don't say my buddy, but, but you know, you, I'm, I'm joking, but we go through these seasons in our life uh, where we just get really wounded, you know, and um, one of the challenges, I think, for us in a very technologically, um, do you want to actually put the next picture up, because I feel like everyone's getting a bit depressed, where's the next, there we go, <laughs> this is the happy church having a picnic, all right, so, um, but the reality is that, uh, that relationships, uh, uh, they cause so much pain, you know? And we're all really shaped by those experiences. Um, you know, when we moved to South America, we were isolated. So I moved there when I was eight years old. My parents uh, planted a church over there. And so we were disconnected culturally and disconnected um, with our language verbally. And, um, and so it was just super lonely for me and um, at a really formative time in my life. And so there's some wounds that, you know, only later on I, I recognised in terms of relationships and stuff. But God's desire is that we would find wholeness and healing in community together. And we live in this really technologically disconnected world. Because of technology, we just never be more disconnected. And because of how our culture celebrates busyness and stress and productivity, we've never had less time for relationships. It's this perfect storm. And so the mental health epidemic and all the rest of it is just full on because people are so lonely, I think. And we are, we're going to rage against that here like, because we follow the way of Jesus. And Jesus and his nature is community, Trinitarian. But not only that, but when he turns up to earth, he could have done it on his own. And as you read the Gospels, it would have been far simpler to do it on his own. <laughs> The Muppets, the 12 Muppets, I call them, they're just like always making life tricky. But Jesus didn't, no, he didn't just do it for company or for, he did it. He was discipling, he's raising these guys up. And these 12 Muppets, who if God can use them, they can, he can use anyone, which is awesome. Um, crikey, we'll get another sermon for another day, but you know, you know it's encouraging <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but if, he, he raised them up to do all the stuff. But ultimately, it's because he, he's communal and he loves, and he just loved these guys. And the, his love healed them, and he didn't bail on them, and he, like, he spoke the truth and love many times, but love, it came from a place of love. But this is the invitation for us, is that we would slow down and prioritize relationships so that when we look at our lives, increasingly we can say, the two greatest priorities in my life are that I love God and that I love others. And it's like, that's it. Like, that's the essence of a beautiful life. And so we prioritize our devotional lives. Oh, sheesh. Oh, that's all right. Um, we prioritize our devotional lives. In Bay Groups this year, uh, next, this next term, what I desperately love is for us to hold each other accountable about how our private world with Jesus is going. Now, I don't say that to make anyone feel stink because I've been in a group like that all last term. And do you know how lame it is to be the pastor and to be like, yeah, little average this week? And it's like, and all the boys are like, hey, like super encouraged. Um, but when we stop trying to be Pharisees by looking spiritual, but behind the scenes, it's just a mess, and we start being true to who we really are, only then can we truly grow. And so, what I'd love is to have some accountability where we go, I want to prioritize my relationship with God so that it's not just a little feed on Sunday to Sunday, but I've got daily rhythms where I'm engaging with Jesus. 
and reading the Word and in prayer and in worship and in what it, there's so many tools and we've talked about that and you can listen to one of my sermons a couple months ago. I've, I literally, we've got, whatever. But I love that to be the culture in some of our Bay groups. And what we did with some of the boys last term, we're going to do it next term. Let's go around the circle. How, how's your week going? Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. You're doing really good. Rubbish, rubbish. Good. You know, and it's like, cool. Sweet as. But the thing is, because we're holding each other accountable, increasingly, we saw by the end of the term, it was so encouraging to see the increased consistency where they were moving from, like, you're actually becoming a disciple with the disciplines and place to connect you with God. And do you know how much your soul flourishes? John 15, abide in me and, and you'll bear much fruit. It's like, oh, you get the big blocks in your life in the right place and all the other things fall in the right place. And so loving God, but then loving others. So one of the most countercultural things we're going to do at Bay Vineyard is meet together weekly in each other's homes to have a feed or to sing songs or to, you know, complain about our children, as in the case of the, you know, um, group and, you know, all of that stuff. And again, if someone wants to work your way through Leviticus, I've got no problem with that. But it's about relationship. That's the number one goal. It's about relationship that then forms relationships of vulnerability and intimacy. And then through that, we can truly grow. So I would love you, love you, love you to, uh, to just be, to see the community side of it as one of the spiritual disciplines. And we looked at this as we started the church. The early church devoted themselves to a bunch of things, only four things. One of those four things was fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. So obviously we're working to, and especially Joe, to make sure that it's easy for you to join groups and we do the term thing and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't work unless a bunch of people go, in the light of who God is, triune, and the light of how Jesus lived, I'm gonna devote myself to community, to fellowship, so it's a priority in my life. Now, again, everything God says is motivated by love leads us to life. So even as I say that, I'm like, come on, church, hang out together. And it's pretty much like God saying, eat the lollies. It's like it's a richer life. It's a more beautiful life. Hello, Judah. You all right there, mate? All right. Cool. It's my boy wandering in. Anyway, uh, let's get distracted easily. All right. Uh, okay, here we go. Tim Keller says this, we believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who have loved each other for all eternity. You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. Don't have that up there. I'm going to say it one more time. We believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who have loved each other for all eternity. That is massive. You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. We've got to kill it. The three battles we have, friends, are the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've got a culture that's trying to tell us to live in a way that's about consumerism, that if you have more stuff, you'll be more happy. And it's not true. We deep down know it. Uh, Jesus said it doesn't, do, doesn't add any, anything to your life. Nothing wrong with that stuff, but it don't think that it's going to make you happy. We've got all sorts of stuff in our culture that says this is how relationships should look, and it's very destructive. All that, so you're fighting that stuff. You've got an enemy who's trying to tempt you and all that stuff. We've got to take that seriously, but let's not get too intimidated because God's sorted them out, okay, in the right place. But you've got to be aware he wants to destroy your life. 
And I've seen, especially through the number of suicide funerals I've had to take, how true it is. And I've, my, again, one of my close friends attempted suicide and he, the enemy, tell him he's worthless and that it was better if he took his life. So don't you think that's not real? But there is a God who is infinitely more powerful who wants to lead you to life. But that battle within yourself is primarily trying to overcome that self-centeredness that somehow thinks that if I live for myself, then at least I can control and I'll be happy. But actually, you were created for other-centered other love, to love others. And so as you get into a group, I'm praying next term, my prayer is that you turn up to that group not going, I wonder what, you know, how I can impress people with whatever, but how can I love? Who can I love? How are people doing? Getting more mature in your eyes so that you're looking at what's happening in the room rather than thinking about yourself the whole time. Going, who can I bless? Who can I encourage? Where are people at? What's appropriate for me to do in terms of encourage and challenge and whatever? But it's all coming from that place of loving because you're desiring to see other people flourish and grow as well. And it is the most satisfying life you can live. And it's one of the gifts of being a pastor is that on one level, that's my job, D, is I want to just get my pom-poms out every Sunday and everything we can do midweek as well and say, go for it. Live a life blessing and serving others. It's the richest life you can possibly live. And that is at the essence of who God is in Trinity, loving loving one another, loving the Holy Spirit, loving Jesus, Jesus loving the Holy Spirit. It's, it's this beautiful community of love that's simultaneously one and three and Rain goes blah, but it's like, and yet we step into that and then choose to live a life of love. So I want to, once more, we're going to come into land here in early, which is great because we can just chill out for a bit while the kids watch their, finish their videos. Um, I want to challenge and encourage us to take community seriously. I don't know how it looks like for you. That's up to you. But it's, you have to choose it. And God is so beautiful because everything he calls us to is an invitation not a demand. He doesn't force us to do it. But he's like, here's the way, the more beautiful way of living. And he invites us. Do you know how humble that is? He invites us into it. Ultimately, it's your choice about whether you want to choose to live a life like that or not. And but I want to encourage you with everything I have to say it's worth it. You've got to push through awkward. When you get to know people, it's awkward. We're a new church. Everyone's kind of new. It's always a little bit awkward but we've got to push through the awkward. There's no shortcuts to history to one another, which brings deep connection, but we hang in there and, and create some history together, blah, blah, blah. But we choose it. I devote myself to fellowship because I want to live a rich life, say no to other things and choose, say yes to that community. Does that sound good? Let's uh, stand together and let me pray. And I'm going to pray especially for healing for those that... Um, my greatest fear <laughs> in the sermon is that um, we have really lame bay groups. Everyone's been in a bad group, right? Let's be honest. Like, everyone's been like, oh, this is just rats. Um, maybe it's me. I don't know. I've definitely been in a few groups where I'm like, this is the good thing about being just committing to one term. You know, if it's rats, then just hang in there, and then by the end of the term, it's all sweet. But, um, but don't let the fear of having a bad social dynamic stop you from just ever engaging with the group. And what would, what's going to work is when we all kind of go, let's make it awesome. 
So I'm going to try and create an environment and whatnot. And there'll be people you click with here. You don't have to like try and like start a brand new bunch of friends or whatever. But it's about living in community together. And when the chips are down, those are the people that are going to be there for you. And when pastoral care things hit, can I just say as a pastor, it's infinitely easier if you're connected to a group. It puts huge stress on, we've got, you know, I'm on four-day shallots on two. We don't have staff that are pastorally just waiting to jump in. You know, it's like it makes life a lot easier on pragmatically. But ultimately, the motivation is that we would grow to be more like God. And I finish with this. We live out our life in the context of the two greatest commandments, loving God and loving others. That's how we want to live out our life. And how deep and rich you make your life depends on how much you are willing to prioritize those two great commandments. The invitation comes from the God who is three in one, the God who is love. Ultimately, how rich and deep your life is, is up to you. But the more that you make the two greatest commandments, your two greatest priorities, the greater and richer your life will be. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to deal with the brokenness that's often within ourselves, where we want to isolate ourselves, particularly for us guys. Just know that we can, it's a super tempting just to isolate ourselves. But Lord, I thank you that you've called us to be a people who live in relationships of love with one another. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us your way. Thank you that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we sung that this morning, the Apostles' Creed, we, we thank you that that is who you are. It's mysterious, it's cognitively challenging, but you are three and you are one all at the same time, and you're in beautiful community together. So thank you that you invite us to step into that. And I pray even this morning that somehow some of the wounds and pain that we've all inevitably gone through, through broken relationships and through betrayal and through hurt and through all of that stuff, that, Lord, you'll just by your spirit even now heal our hearts and allow us to trust in you again, that your way is the more beautiful way, that we'll live in in rich community together. And so, Lord, I pray that over this coming term that we would have lots of meals together and uh, laughs and tears and that we would grow and that we would enjoy this beautiful journey with you. Help us, Lord God, to follow your way because it leads to life. So we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.